All right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 160 of Crow 777 Radio. Jason Lindgren is with me, and this will be the last in the series of the decades run that we've just done. If I remember correctly, we picked up right around the 40s, which is to say that the vast majority of all the decades we've just covered, this episode will cover to the present time, 2019. I have been alive because most of it's from the 60s forward. And that's a bit different than much of the history that we hear in this world, uh, at least To some degree, I was alive to see what was going on in the world and many of the things we'll mention here. As we get into this, and I mentioned this in the beginning, uh, we will not be covering a lot about AI because we have a special one or two part episode coming that will cover AI. And it's absolutely astonishing. And for those who don't know, it's here now. It's in your face. You go on Google and you get a nudge. What's doing that, man? It's AI. You get your video pulled down. You get a strike. What's doing that? It's AI. Anyhow, let's jump in with Jason Lindgren for episode 160 and come from the 2000s up to 2019. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 160. Jason Lindgren is with me. Uh, We were supposed to record yesterday, but I woke up and my voice was gone, which I remedied pretty quickly with about 30 oranges. But uh, having said that, that's why my voice sounds a little rough. Welcome, Jason. Good morning. A little better morning for me than you, I think. But here we are. Well, you know, these things don't have to be. If I would have known a day earlier, I could have avoided it. Um, After all, nature gives us oranges. That's a bit like sunlight in a wrapper, even the color of it. Um, I had no voice. I ate, I don't know, 10, 15 oranges. My voice came back. By the evening time, I was a lot better off. But it just goes to show you, you are what you eat. That is absolutely true, beyond all belief, more than most folks even realize. All right, so let's tee this up, man. Um, oh, by the way, I, I don't think I have anything uh, else for the intro. I don't, I, I, I don't recall being anywhere this week. Uh, you? No, we are planning a Seattle showing, so I would love to hear from folks if they're in that area and would like to do a showing. We want to see at least 50 people available to get together. So shoot the moon movie at gmail.com is the email address to contact me and say, yes, I would attend a Seattle showing. All right. So the, these are basically free showings, right, Jason? And it's going to come down to audience size to make it a worthwhile endeavor. Anything else? Nope. Let's get into it. All right. Let's preface what we're about to do. This will be the last episode of us walking through the decades. And part of the reason we did this is we talk about so many points in history, which were doubtful. But for much of what we just covered in the last, I don't know, what's it been, Jason? Three episodes? Yep, this is the fourth one. This is the fourth one. Uh, we were alive for a good portion of this. We did precede uh, my lifetime and Jason's in the first, I don't know, show and a half. Um, but once we got up to the 60s, uh, I've been witness to everything that happened. So it's part of why we're trying to get this on the record. But we're going we're gonna to pick up in the 2000s here and go to the current time. And what's going to be obviously missing is much reference to AI, artificial intelligence. Um, And it is the biggest, in my view, it is the biggest issue uh, that we will face from now until decades from now. Uh, It is a big damn deal. And so what's going to happen here is I am putting together a 
artificial intelligence episode, which might actually be so large, it ends up being two episodes. So we'll sprinkle that in. Um, But just so people know, well, let me say this. During the research for the AI that's going to follow these decades, I I think we have Phoenix Aurelius and maybe a couple other shows, then we'll do the AI shows. There's a new name out in the world um, that I encountered in one of my source books for researching AI. It's called G-Mafia. And what G-Mafia stands for is Google, Amazon, Microsoft, IBM, Facebook, and Apple. There are a big nine corporations that are said to be the main pushers and movers in AI. There's another three uh, that are apparently way ahead of the United States and China. The names of those companies are Alibaba, Tencent, and Baidu. Um, We'll be covering these things. We may make mention as we step through. Anyhow, Jason, it's all you. By 2010, a growing number of cell phones, cameras, and other digital devices were now featuring augmented reality. This technology displays 3D virtual elements on a real-world camera view. GPS units, in combination with inertial references, could map a user's precise location, then relay graphics from the web or a web-based application such as Google Earth, which could then superimpose them on the user's screen. All right. So if I'm not mistaken, it was like 2007. We got like the big iPhone switch over, Jason. I think it was 2007. Um, I didn't look that up. But basically what's going on here is we have all this new ability, but at the base of it, these are on your person data collection devices. So keep that in mind as we move forward. 2007 was indeed the launch of the iPhone. And I remember this time that was when we went from thinking the uh, Motorola Razor was the coolest thing to have, and now all of a sudden the smartphones with the touch screens and all that really changed everything. Everybody wanted to go this route, or just about everybody. We also had the BlackBerry thing and all that, and those got phased out really quick with the touch screens. Well, what's going on right now, this very minute as we record this show, is many of the companies that provide online services are now openly sending notices. I got two yesterday saying, we're going to just openly scrape all your data now and do whatever the hell we want with it. And if you don't object, it will go into effect on this date or that date. And if you do object, we will close your account. Um, and they're coming up with just these bizarre terms, like for the email client, for me to notify people that are members, um, that a new episode is coming out. I'm going to have to redo all that because I will not bow to this stuff. They're saying, we're going to scrape all the email exhaust. What the hell is email exhaust? They try to make it look like a, a waste product. And in fact, what it is, is people's personal information. But that's where we are right now. And from this day forward, unless something major changes, um, we're going down this road and it's going to get worse and worse because we are, in fact, now in the age of surveillance capitalism. Also in 2010, researchers at CERN claimed to have trapped 38 anti-hydrogen atoms, holding them in place for one-sixth of a second. This would be the first time in scientific history that humans had trapped antimatter. Although anti-hydrogen had been produced before, it was instantly destroyed when encountering normal matter. Boy, Jason, feel like you just drug me to the crossroads. Now I got to make a decision. I see the for sale sign, but I'm not buying. I'm not buying for a second. 
Um, and that sets aside the old 38 anti-hydrogen atoms, which is 11. When you see 11 in the modern era, we've covered this ad nauseum. Um, but I, I would estimate that anyone who has any knowledge of natural science or alchemy would take umbrage with this all day. And the older natural principles about this place we live, every single thing that you can touch, smell, feel, or anything else has three components, and none of them are anti-anything. It's body, spirit, and soul. These are philosophical principles. So even though this place we call CERN is credited with giving us the first packet switch 50 years ago, which created the internet, uh, I'm not buying this anti-hydrogen nonsense. To further make the transhumanists happy as a pig in the mud, in June of 2011, surgeons in Sweden carried out the world's first synthetic organ transplant. A 36-year-old man who was suffering from terminal cancer of the trachea received a completely new replacement windpipe. This was achieved with a nanotechnology scaffold made from spongy, flexible polymer that had been seeded with his own stem cells in a bioreactor. The scaffold was based on 3D scans molded to the exact dimensions of his own trachea. The cells were grown on the scaffold for two days before transplantation into the patient. Since the cells used to regenerate the trachea were the patient's own, there was no rejection of the transplant by his immune system. Closer and closer we roll. Yeah, you know, it's things like this where on the one hand, um, you want to you wanna say, great, someone got helped by all this. But what, in fact, what we're seeing here is what we see so much of in medicine. Like even for simple hernias now, they want to put a foreign object in you called a mesh. And how many people have noticed on television all the lawsuits? supposed commercials, which are up to a whole other unhelpful thing, by the way. But my point here is like in all the research I'm doing for the AI, I must have read a couple thousand pages. And I even went off my normal track for this research to read what people in the mainstream are saying about AI. And here's what kills me about all of it. They ignore the factual truth that we can demonstrate, like one of the things being said is now that we have all this super duper intelligent AI, we can cure cancer. Well, I got news for you. People cured cancer in the 30s, probably a hell of a lot earlier. There are cannabis cures. There are things like the Gerson, all these things which are completely unrecognized. Um, and so basically what we get is information built on a falsehood. Um, and I know that's a little off track, but it's frustrating to see these things when there's the possibility that better medicine might be able to cure things like trachea cancer. Well, we, we know that they have these methods and the, these methods have existed. And then you see all these crazy campaigns, all that, oh, race for the cure and this and that. It's like we have the cure and it has nothing to do with chemotherapy. Yeah, these these things are so, so frustrating. Um, and, and what's funny about it is you're still treated as a conspiratorial minded person if you point out that vegetable juices were basically used to stop some of the most aggressive cancers. Um, all these things we can look up. Who who can forget the Rick Soil or the Rick Simpson oil or um, other cannabis cures? These things are completely unrecognized. So what we see is all this artificial stuff being put into a human body when it's quite probable that if all the big players got on the same page and went for all these natural cures we'd be in a much better place. But this kind of echoes the march towards transhumanism, doesn't it, Jason? That it does. And of course, they are pushing for cybernetic replacements and combination human-computer hybrids, all this craziness. And they just might get it to some degree or another. Yeah, what's that old George Clooney movie, man? We're in a tight spot. 
we are in a damn tight spot right now. And when we do the AI uh, episodes, I think most people's minds will be blown. This is happening. This is happening unless something changes. And so much of what we're going to cover here is setting the table, making the bed for what's about to follow. And much of it is already underway, by the way. The end of the space shuttle era. Discovery was the first of the three active space shuttles to be retired, completing its final mission on March 9th, 2011. Endeavour did so on June 1st. The final shuttle mission was completed with the landing of Atlantis on July 21st, 2011, closing the 30-year space shuttle program. Well, I'm so glad that they completed on March 9th so they could use the completion number to finish this out. But I will ask a simple question. Um, if the high ground has always been important in military endeavors, uh, space, if there is such a thing, would represent that. The moon, if there is such a thing as it's described, would represent that high ground. And for some reason, we just walked away from being able to go to space. Uh, and by the way, not only did we walk away from it, we gave it to our one-time enemy of all time, Russia. So now you got to go to Russia if you supposedly want to go to space. Um, it's all a bit much, Jason. In October of 2011, the worldwide population is said to have reached 7 billion. Over 74 million people were said to now be added to the world each year. On current official trends, the population was forecast to reach 10 billion by the year 2100. Most of the increase was said to be coming from high-fertility nations in sub-Saharan Africa. So, I mean, I'll ask you, Jason, on the tale of the episode's that we have done recently uh, that talk directly about populations. Do you accept these numbers? Do you accept that we're going to just have way more people than this world can support? Is that a thing that you're willing to, to accept? Well, it's not a thing I'm worried about because I've traveled all over this country. And if there's 7 billion people, there's 7 billion people, but it sure as hell isn't bothering me any. Most of what I've driven through is nothing. Forest, some desert, just miles and miles and miles, literally for hundreds of miles of nothing. I think we can logically work out that what's basically happened is more and more people have come to city centers, making it appear like there's gross overpopulation problem. But we did very diligent research to show that birth rates all over the supposed civilized world or whatever the first world uh, are so low that some are reaching numbers that have never been historically recovered from. And those are, you know, we can substantiate those numbers and they fly in the face of these ideas. And that sets aside, um, again, to go back to the natural sciences or alchemy, there is nothing in this world that doesn't morph one thing into the other, perpetually balancing itself. And while things like human beings can whack things out of balance, there is no doubt um, this is a very basic part of the system we're talking about, death and rebirth. And I would point out again, how many movies have you seen where someone gets killed, there's a flash to the moon, and then a baby is born? What does that imply? So, uh, again, I see the for sale sign, but I'm, I'm just not buying. Space is still hard. <laughs> a new chapter in space exploration is claimed to have begun in 2011 with the opening of Spaceport America, the world's first purpose-built commercial spaceport. This was intended to offer suborbital flights to the paying public. Costing over $200 million, the facility was built on 27 square miles of a state-owned desert basin called Yornado del Muerto, an uninhabited part of New Mexico. Current tenants of the spaceport include Virgin Galactic, with UP Aerospace and Armadillo Aerospace having also operated from the spaceport. 
So let's see. They're going to claim that this is a purpose-built commercial spaceport. So I'll ask the question, how commercially viable has this been? <laughs> and I think we know by your opening line, space is still hard. Um, that's what Sir Richard Branson said when questioned after 14 years of simply trying to go to the edge of space and then reuse the same vehicle in, I forget what it is, two weeks or something like that. Um, but you see, space is hard as lifted from the Apollo era. But apparently space was not that hard for the Apollo era because we are told they, without computers or modern engineering or any of the things we have, now put people on a craft, brought them to the moon, brought them safely home. They did it all in about a year and a half. Yet we can't even go to the edge of space now. Again, man, just take down the for sale sign because I'm not buying. Space was easy then. Apparently easier. Space has gotten harder for some reason. Uh, so th th there's your value of technology. If, if technology is such a great thing, how come we can't achieve what we achieved back in the 60s, no matter how hard we try? December 14th, 2012, the Sandy Hook elementary school shooting, also called Newtown Shootings in Newtown, Connecticut, took place, or something took place. This was, in our heavily researched opinion, a false flag event. The official narrative is that this was a shooting that left 28 people dead and two injured. After murdering his mother at their home, Adam Lanza fatally shot 20 children and six adults at Sandy Hook Elementary School before taking his own life. It was one of the deadliest school shootings in U.S. history, according to the mainstream so here we are, man. Everyone just got drugged to the crossroads again. Everyone has to make a decision. Oh, look, there's a for sale sign in the window. Is anyone buying? Uh, I don't know what else we can say about this in hour one. Uh, we have heavily researched this, have, have a lot of people. And the result of that research has been a lot of clips removed from YouTube, a lot of strikes issued. Um, so what does that tell us about things that cannot be talked about openly, I would ask? On December 21st, 2012, the world didn't end with the ending of the current cycle of the Mayan calendar. A whole lot of frauds in the New Age business, David Wilcock comes to mind, insist on the idea of a massive earth-changing calamity and sell a lot of books pushing the nonsense along the way. But I have to say I feel pretty fine. How about you? Yeah, I feel pretty good, too. As a matter of fact, I noticed that human consciousness started to really rise, um, maybe even a bit before 2012. And th this is just more fear porn, isn't it? Um, we, how, how, if we were to go back through the acceptable history of our world, how many people have told us the end is nigh, you know, <laughs> and it still works, you know, you, you spew that fear porn and people buy books. It's, it's a bit much, but I would add that kind of fear porny things like this, I think they're coming under a lot more scrutiny these days. I don't think there's as many suckers lining up. I was listening to Coast to Coast a lot back then, leading up to 2012, and man, there were just so many shows of people talking about this crap, and of course, nothing happened, and I didn't think anything was going to happen. I, I never was concerned about it. Well, if you even looked at the narrative, you know, some supposed tile where they found something written on the back and nobody's even quite sure how to read Mayan except for one guy, um, and other people say it's, you know, it's, it's, it's mystery wrapped in an enigma. That's what it is. It's a mind hook. Whenever you see mysteries in mainstream narratives, you should probably just walk away because it's never going to get resolved. And we have, you know, decades of proof to back that statement. Another false flag event, the Boston bombings. The official narrative on this one is that during the annual Boston Marathon on April 15th, 2013, 
two homemade pressure cooker bombs detonated 14 seconds and 210 yards apart at 2.49 p.m. near the finish line of the race, killing three people and injuring several hundred others, including 16 who are said to have lost limbs. Three days later, the FBI released images of two suspects who are later identified as Chechen Kyrgyz Stani, American brothers Zokar Sarnev and Tamerlan Sarnev. They killed an MIT policeman, kidnapped a man in his car, and had a shootout with the police in nearby Watertown, during which two officers were severely injured, one of whom died a year later. Tamerlan was shot several times, and his brother ran him over while escaping in the stolen car. Tamerlan is said to have died soon after. More poppy, certainly more cock. Well, here it is. It's another one of these things you're not allowed to address publicly, are you? As a matter of fact, in what we've said in this episode, I'm waiting to see what happens. And anytime we know this to be true, we should understand what we're looking at and what we're talking about. But in in this case, there were some very basic things like a tweet that went out moments before this happened from the uh, police department saying there was going to be a controlled explosion. We'll leave it there. In May of 2013, a study was published in the journal Nature that described the first creation of human embryonic stem cells through the use of cloning. Scientists at Oregon Health and Science University and Oregon National Primate Research Center successfully reprogrammed human skin cells to become embryonic stem cells that had the capability of transforming into any other cell type in the body. It was hoped that embryonic stem cells could one day replace a wide range of patient-specific cells and tissues damaged by injury or illness. Diseases or conditions that might be treated by such therapy would include Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, cardiac disease, and spinal cord injuries. This would be an interesting topic to go at as a whole episode at some point. Take a look at it. Um, I have not looked at it carefully, but we're talking about 2013 here. Um, if you look at the speed at which AI was implemented, um, very few people are aware. What, what was the guy's name, Jason? Um, uh, was it the Apple guy? or Do you remember the guy that said there is no more privacy in the United States? And that was like 1999. Do you remember? who? Oh, it was Sun Microsystems, right? I think so, yes. Yeah, it was the CEO, I think the CEO of Sun Microsystems. In 1999, he went out and announced that there's no more privacy in the modern era at all. And very few people are are not aware of that. But if we look at the speed at which AI has been implemented, which you will be shown when we do the episode, um, this is all the way back in 2013. Uh, that that things like this, and it goes back further, actually, uh, a little bit. And so you got to wonder how much validity is there. It would be an interesting show to, to take a closer look. I can't say much without taking a closer look. In June of 2013, the mainstream media revealed operational details regarding the United States National Security Agency, or the NSA, and its international partners' mass surveillance of citizens. The vast majority of these reports emerged from a cache of top-secret documents leaked by ex-NSA contractor Edward Snowden. On June 6, 2013, the first of Snowden's documents were published simultaneously by The Washington Post and The Guardian, attracting considerable public attention. The disclosure would continue throughout the year of 2013, and a significant portion of the full cache of 1.5 million documents was later obtained and published by many other media outlets around the world. 
What's that old song? Let's let the show go on. Let's let the show go on. And I would point anyone who's interested, Snowden. Um, I don't know if it's the tallest peak in Wales, but there's a whole mythology and everything there in Wales on Mount Snowden. This is all nonsense in my ears. And it's not any different than the whole WikiLeaks nonsense. Uh, that's all basically show. All the world's a stage, and this is part of the shows that are on. Well, as Baldini had said, these things don't happen by accident, and they know what's going on. Well, that could be tr- said, you know, in this age of, of surveillance capitalism and so few big corporations owning all the information systems, um, anyone who's not getting what it means to see any messaging go out worldwide or coast to coast, um, you're behind the eight ball, man. You need to catch up. As far as pushing for new scientific output, China had been closing the gap between itself and the developed world for many years. Research papers were being published at an accelerating rate as millions more students were entering universities and the country was becoming more developed. At the same time, the United States had been seeing a marked decline in its own scientific and technological research and output. In 2004, China passed the UK, becoming second in terms of academic studies. The gap was finally closed in 2013, as even the United States now fell behind China. Well, to keep harping on songs, you know, here's the new boss, but it's not the same as the old boss. Um, And I'll demonstrate that all day long when we do the AI episode. Um, China's king. And it's been set up to be king. And right now we have a government and a president that's building walls around, picking fights with China every chance they get, basically isolating the United States. China has endless five-year plans for all these things, but they have a stated plan, which I will cover probably in the AI episode, that by 2030, they will be the world energy provider for the world energy grid, and they will be the king of AI. And I don't see any way that's not going to happen because basically AI um, development requires data. And as we pointed out in our last episode, they've already got the social ratings and everything else going in China. They're collecting everything. But here's the difference. China has its own Internet that's basically walled off from the rest of the world. And even if it wasn't, there are very few people in the West who can understand or use Chinese characters. At the same time, all that data, and that is a crapload of people in China, is all theirs to feed and teach AI. They're also scraping the rest of the web, which is open to the world. Suffice it to say that even though it doesn't have an immediate effect on you, China almost certainly has a social rating on you at this very moment. Uh, They're miles ahead, and it's very clear to me that our current government was put in place to retard the United States because here comes the new boss. And by the way, I will add um, the president of China, Z, I think it's XI, do you pronounce that Z? Um, Something like that. Uh, He just got in for life. There's no more term limits for him as a president. So that should tell everybody something. Well, I think that's called a dictatorship. Well, in this case, it's just planned. You know, you and I are going to cover how all the manufacturing started being pushed out of this country over to China back in the day. I mean, it wasn't too long after, you know, the evil enemy in in red China and finally Coke might get in there and Richard Nixon, all that nonsense that went on. And right behind that, they started moving all the manufacturing in. This is the long game. So now China has all the manufacturing. It has all the data. It's got a dictatorship or whatever you want to call it, communism, where the leaders at the top snap their fingers. But there's so much more to it. The Silk Road. Here's one for you. 
the Silk Road, which most people are familiar with from high school history, um, China decided it was going to redevelop the whole Silk Road. But what it actually did was just put a slew of money into all the countries the Silk Road goes through. And some of those countries have already adopted uh, their data collection, their social rating, and other things, and they're almost certainly about to fall in line with their planned worldwide power grid. Um, this is coming, and uh, it's a hell of a thing. In 2013, highly flexible, film-based touch sensors entered the phone and tablet markets. They would also give the ability to add touch capabilities into a range of new consumer and industrial goods at a reasonable cost. Using roll-to-roll metal mesh technology, they could provide a high-performance alternative to existing touch sensors. Larger, lighter, sleeker, curved, and edgeless designs were now possible for handheld devices. Thinner sensor stacks with flawless performance, excellent optical clarity, low sheet resistance, and low power consumption enabled futuristic concepts with functional designs at lower costs compared to previous alternatives. So in some ways, Jason, this is really one of the big lines in the sand when we went to touch screens. But let's do a compare and contrast here to what we can see going on in our world now. This is 2013 we're talking about. Um, all of a sudden, we got to this place where user input into a computerized device could be done by touching the screen. Um, and that slowly began to change the entire world. We could do a whole show on how much the touch screen has changed our world. But now let's leap forward to where we are. Uh, let's take something as simple as Gmail, the Gmail that so many of us use. There's a thing called a nudge there. Uh, do you have any idea what's driving that? Well, it's AI is driving that nudge. And what it is, is it's basically AI directing you to do an action. So all the way back here, we have our finger touching a screen, telling a computer to do an action that we want. Now, all these short years later in 2019, our email is using AI to direct us to do an, an action. And the example cited here is called nudges. In May of 2014, Google Glass is released to the general public. Very few people care about the headset, and it turns out to be a failure. A lot of it is chalked up to really bad marketing. Um, this was a kind of a weird thing. It just seemed like a thing before its time. It didn't seem to fit with the lifestyles. Um, it seemed like, how the heck can you interface with your world with a computer covering your eyes? Uh, it seemed really wonky to me, Jason. Yeah, I, you know, I, I remember it. I remember them trying to push it, and really just nobody cared. Very few people, anyway. You always have some folks that want to get in on the new tech, but it just did not catch on. I definitely remember this, and man, that was it. Well, it got bad press, which is another interesting thing. You know, we're talking about one of the biggest corporations in the world from the G Mafia here, Google. And uh, the press started saying it's not safe. Uh, people get tied up in what's in their glasses and they can crash if they're in a car or fall down. You know, there was all this kind of negative press around it. So it was a bit mystifying, the whole thing. Consumer use of the Internet first became popular through dial-up access in the 1990s. During the first decade of the 21st century, many people in developed nations began using faster broadband technologies. In September of 2014, a significant landmark was reached as the worldwide average connection speed reportedly reaches 4.6 megabits a second, which exceeds the 4 megabits a second minimum threshold to meet the criteria to be considered as broadband. Oh, you wait until 5G comes in, folks. 
Well, here's the thing too, Jason. Uh, yeah, you know how many of us have done the speed test to see if our internet connection's any good? Most people use Ookla. If you go to the Ookla website, there's other tools there that show you the connection speeds all over the world, and quite often the United States is down in the 30s or lower. And here's the place that invented almost all this. It's it's a bit much to take. Same with say when when we talk about China um, now, firmly in the lead in artificial intelligence, we invented all that. We invented all that. So how in the, you know, it's like the space thing, you know, we're not going to go to space anymore here, Russia, you can have, you know, it's all a bit much. It's just, it's things moving on a chessboard. But here's another thing for you. They're now putting out things on Nova's and other things. I don't know if it's Nova, it's some PBS celebrating the 50th year of the internet. And I thought, really? (laughs) Because I remember it was, you know, mid-90s at best before very many people in the United States were getting online. But where they market is all the way back at CERN when Berners-Lee or whatever that guy's name is um, did the first packet switch. That's where they mark the beginning of the Internet. So right now, according to mainstream, the Internet is having its 50th year anniversary. After three working group reports in September of 2013, March of 2014, and April of 2014, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change releases the final part of its fifth assessment report, which is known as the Synthesis Report, in November of 2014. This further discusses the possible future impacts of climate change, which wants to pave the way for a worldwide, legally binding treaty in late 2015. And of course, this is lots of more poppy and cock. Yeah, it's it's all a bit much, man. Let's go outside. What are all those white lines in the sky, man? What, what What's that all about? Uh, this is really hard to accept because this is another part that just kills me in the research where everyone just acts like this is a fact. And it's not. It's not. But as a matter of fact, there are a lot of mainstream places that are starting to dissent from these ideas and they're all getting stifled. But uh, as we enter the age of artificial information and artificial intelligence, um, the whole foundation is built on half-truths and non-truths. Can you imagine 100 years from now when the entirety of the human race is bound to AI and every bit of that AI is is foundationally laid on things that aren't true? (laughs) Well, all I can say is I'm not seeing global warming. If anything, I'm seeing cooling, but who knows? Well, they, they've got all these shows on television, too. This city's sinking, that city's sinking. I've lived here and been here since I was five years old, and I've said this so many times. There's a chain-link fence down on the beach, and when the water gets that high, it puts seaweed in, and it turns to leather. It's there for years. That fence has not been hit by high water in something like 20 years. So, yeah, everything's sinking. My butt. The first test flight of the Orion Crew Exploration Vehicle by NASA is in December of 2014. For this particular mission, the capsule is unmanned. It is said to have reached a higher altitude than any spacecraft intended for human use since the year 1973. Orion makes two highly elliptical orbits of the Earth before re-entering the atmosphere and splashing down in the Pacific Ocean. This test supports the development of the Space Launch System, or the SLS. This is a new dedicated rocket setup, which itself will be tested in 2017. The first manned flight of Orion will occur in the 2020s, said to be dependent on NASA's future funding. 
Oh, we shall see. Oh, what is it? I went down to the crossroads, fell down on my knees. So what what we're being offered up here is that in 2014, we finally got higher than we did regularly in 1973. Does that seem right to anybody? I'm just asking. Also in 2014, after several years of research and development, the first solid-state laser weapon is now being integrated into U.S. Navy warships as a form of short-range defense. These high-powered beams of directed energy can hit targets moving at 300 miles per hour. The future is now, apparently. Well, I remember, what was it? Years ago, the Big Bang made fun of this, where one of the physicists was supposed to be making lasers that could do this. And someone asked him, can you really do this? And he said, oh, hell no. (laughs) So there's that, man. Smartwatches begin the next newest tech craze. A mere 500,000 sales of smartwatches were made in 2013. This jumps to over 5 million by the end of 2014. Offerings come from companies such as Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Samsung, among others. So I'm a bit old and crusty, Jason, but is this really a thing? I mean, I don't think I know anyone wears a smartwatch. Do you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see it all the time. Apple Watch is the most popular. And it's so basically you've just got another computer on your wrist, I'm imagining. Yeah, it's kind of like a mini smartphone. Hmm. And you can read your emails and your texts and all that and even speak into it and do the uh, predictive programming. I mean, the uh, predictive text and all that. Is it uh, doing bio info on you, you know, because it's juggling around like a Fitbit or something can count how many steps you've done or something like that? Yes. Well, I don't know too much about the Apple Watch, but I'm assuming so. But yes, there are things called Fitbits that do all that kind of thing. Sign me up, man. I see the for sale sign. I'm going to need three or four of these, I think. One for each ankle and maybe one for my (laughs) left wrist. I've always been concerned about having a device right on you all the time for hours and hours and hours. It's, mm, I don't know if I'd want that. Well, you know me. Uh, I think you're the only person that I ever talked to at all using a cell phone, and it's not even a new one. Um, I don't carry it, and when I used to put it in my pocket, I used to shield it away from my body. Um, I'm just not into it. I'm not into any of it, and I know that makes me kind of a Luddite, but I don't care. I want to live better than where it appears all this is going. The use of bioinformatics in healthcare is growing exponentially during the 2010s, thanks in large part to the falling cost of genome sequencing. This is creating a new generation of personalized diagnosis and treatments that can be specifically tailored to an individual's own DNA. After the Human Genome Project was completed in 2003, its potential for public use began to be realized. It had taken nearly 15 years and billions of dollars to identify and map all 3.3 billion base pairs in the human genome. However, the methods used to achieve this goal were improving at a rate even faster than Moore's Law in computer chips. From 2008, the cost per genome had gone into freefall. You know... I don't think I'm buying here either. Uh, in the research for the AI, uh, it's pointed out time and time again in more than one source that Moore's Law still holds true for computers, demonstrably so. Um, what I recall is like on the one of the previous episodes we just finished is all these scientists coming up saying, why are you guys doing this? It'll take you over 100 years to crack all this information you're claiming is there. And then lo and behold, with this mysterious doubling and doubling or however they described it, they finish it in three years. So I am skeptical as hell about all this. But again, until we take a close look, I don't think I can offer much. 
exponential improvements in processing power, doubling every 18 months or Moore's Law, are enabling the creation of highly lifelike computer graphics with 3D environments. At the same time, ever faster broadband is opening up new frontiers in the cyberspace domain, allowing the development of Web 3.0, the next generation of Internet. This is being combined with developments in on-person hardware, creating a renewed interest in the concept of virtual reality. After some not very successful initial attempts, it is now becoming a serious tool for business, leisure, education, and training programs. Much of the content in these 3D environments can actually be user-generated with online communities for sharing and exchanging virtual objects, buildings, avatars, and more. Among the hardware configurations to emerge is a circular treadmill-like interface allowing players to move freely and naturally in all directions. Are you ready for it? Ready Player One. Indeed, you know, I often, I, we, I was having a conversation um, with one of the members of Crow 777 Radio, and we were commiserating um, how much the young people of today are up against. And, you know, I look back to my youth, I had some rock music, uh, drug abuse was a big thing when I was young, all these things that you can get ensnared in, but man, none of it comes close to things like virtual reality. I imagine that virtual reality will be used, uh, one of the big tools to suck people into the completely artificial existence that AI wants to bring us. Um, and it's a scary, scary thing from my point of view, because most of the people that get targeted are going to be these young, young people uh, playing games and other things. Um, for my part, I'll never put on a 3D visor. And that's a shame, you know, because I'm interested in the sky and other things. And there are great applications, but I, I'm just not. I'm not taking part in this one. January 1st, 2015, the Eurasian Economic Union. This is an economic union of states located in Central and Northern Asia and Eastern Europe. The treaty on the Eurasian Economic Union was signed on May 29th, 2014 by the leaders of Belarus, Kazakhstan, and Russia and came into force on January 1st, 2015. Armenia and Kyrgyzstan joined right after. You know what's ironic about this is the average person in America or Britain are probably thinking that where we live is way ahead of this, and that they're just not anymore. It's all there is to it. China's going to lead the way. And in the same way, we had things like all the Western countries that, that joined this gang and all the Eastern Bloc countries that joined this gang. It's a similar thing, but in this case, China is making money hand over fist uh, in so many different areas that they're basically just buying it all. And many of these countries think of Armenia or Kyrgyzstan. What do you suppose the gross national product of these places is? So China comes in, helps them develop. You can see where this goes. So basically, uh, the, the Eurasian Economic Union, are we looking at the new boss? Not quite the same as the old boss. I think it's quite possible. Well, it seems like this is just more fuel for the fire of the whole service economy for the United States, but the actual doing is being done by other countries with China leading that whole pack. All the way back in the 70s, they made the plan to demote the United States. Um, and we'll we'll cover that in the AI episodes. Matter of fact, that portion of the research you were doing to demonstrate these big corporations just pulling all the manufacturing out of the United States. And it has been known for time immemorial that a country without manufacturing can't support itself. 
It's basically like saying, here's a farm and the farm has to produce food for the family. But guess what? We're going to outsource all the gardens to somewhere else. Um, it's no different, really. And this started back in the 70s. And right now, China is so far ahead. And what they have in place, I don't know how you stop it. They've got a president for life. They've got communism. They snap their fingers and get what they want. And they have more data by exponential numbers than the rest of the world to teach their AI. And by the way, um, they have no qualms uh, about the idea of freedoms or other things that supposedly the West holds dear, which is being quickly demonstrated to be a farce. After all, I got another email this morning informing me that one of the email clients that I used to use will now scrape all the information and do whatever the hell it wants with it. Not asking for an opt-in or opt-out, basically telling you if you stay a member, this is what's happening. China's got so many folks just completely now beaten down that they're just going along with it. You just don't see them rising up at all. Not that I really want to see violence or anything like that, but they are willingly accepting the 1984 system being put into place in their country. Let's take a look at this idea. So... For some reason, Britain um, always was going to go take over everybody else. You know, that's the history we're handed from the white Europeans. Uh, but here's the truth of it. If you want to accept any portion of the world history narrative, China invented all the stuff Britain used to take over the world. So why the hell with all that manpower and know-how and everything, why didn't China do it? And the accounts that you see is because they weren't interested in rolling over their neighbors. That's what you're told. But nonetheless, they paid the price in the opium wars and all these other things imposed on them by white Europeans using the very technologies, many of them, that China itself developed, like gunpowder, like the magnetic compass, um, all kinds of things. Um, so what do you suppose would be China's attitude now looking back, if any of that's true. Um, and I think we're going to see China full speed ahead, um, kind of acting like white Europe acted all those, all those years ago, taking over everything they can get their damn hands on. In 2015, the Large Hadron Collider, or LHC, reaches its maximum operating power. And what is the Large Hadron Collider officially? It is the world's largest and highest energy particle accelerator. By smashing together subatomic particles at close to the speed of light, it aims to recreate the conditions that existed just a fraction of a second after the birth of the universe. In doing so, it is expected to address some of the most fundamental questions in physics. You know, I see the for sale site, and again, they might as well just take it down. I'm not buying. Um, I'm just not buying. Just say no. In July of 2015... NASA's New Horizons spacecraft performed a close flyby of Pluto, becoming the first mission in history to visit the distant world. This probe, launched in January of 2006, had traveled 3 billion kilometers through space. At its closest approach, it flew 7,800 miles above the surface with a relative velocity of 30,800 miles per hour. Now, let me rewrite the opening of this paragraph. In July of 2015, Crow777 on YouTube did clips showing why this is all nonsense to include taking the imagery apart to show that it's all constructs and not snapshots of anything, 
which was followed by the complete defaming and attack on the Crow 777 YouTube channel by places like Gizmodo, the Daily Mail, and culminating in two interviews, count them, two interviews from Newsweek, uh, calling me Pluto truthers. But I stand by what I put up all those years ago, and anyone who wants to go back and look at the image work alone shows you what we're talking about here. None of it. None of it. None of it. Beginning in 2015, there's something called the United Nations Millennium Development Goals. And we don't have time for hour one to go into this, but these are going to be very, very interesting. They have eight goals laid out that, well, you're, you're going to hear it. It's it's very interesting. It's it's a little new world ordery, but they're pretending at least that they care about other places. But what we do know of what really goes on, I don't think these things were really done the way they're claiming. No, it's it's a bit ironic. You know, I, I announced, I don't know, many episodes ago how I got notified that if I had a single user from a European Union nation that I was under European Union guidelines and I beg to differ. But what's ironic about all this is some of the claims coming out of the European Union is that they actually have more protections on personal data, supposedly, um, remains to be proven, um, than the United States. Uh, what's happened here, Jason, is purposefully everyone has just sat back and watched this place start to crumble and done nothing about all the supposed tenants uh, that made the United States the United States, like freedoms and all these types of things. And when you get the UN in it, and we're going to open up our two with what is there, there's eight of these things, eight of these goals, um, we're going to start covering these things. And it's, it's a hell of a thing. Part of the research in the artificial intelligence showed that Google did a few things just because it wanted to. One of those things was they gave 700,000 medical records to AI without the permission of any of the people. Uh, in the United States, one of the major protections that was supposed to be in place is called HIPAA regulation around your medical records. is a big damn deal. As a matter of fact, it was such a big damn deal that people were threatened with serious punishment if they violated HIPAA. Well, Google just did whatever the hell it wanted, and there's more. Google, sometime around the turn of the millennium, started scanning every book uh, with robots that it could get its hands on. But here's the rub. All those books had copyrights, and they never asked permission. As a matter of fact, if you go to places where many of these books are scanned now, you will see on the front of the book, scanned by Google, and like the intention that somehow part of the copyright, because now it's digital, is theirs. They basically are doing whatever the hell they want. And I'll tell you, as I began to do the research for AI and I saw the term G-Mafia and then realized that it was just the first letter of each of the big nine that make up the artificial intelligence push, uh, these companies are doing whatever the hell they want. And every single person from mainstream that wrote about them said this, these are not evil people. These are not bad people. The board members of a place like Google, they have your best interests at heart, and then they proceed to tell you how AI is going to trash our world. I'm not even kidding here. So if these corporations are behind this thing that is going to trash our world, how do they get a pass? But this is where we're at. It's like complacency gone bizarre. Um, people doing just about anything they want as long as it's a big corporation backing them. And as we get into hour two, we'll start to break down the United Nations portion of these ideas. Um, what would you add before we begin to wrap up here, Jason? Well, it's not just that the artificial intelligence is getting to a point that it's really scary. It's also being plugged into a high-tech, 
high-speed surveillance grid that is yep. covering more and more of our lives everywhere we go. Should I tell the Go story real quick? Yeah. About AI, I'll tell the Go story real quick. So Jason and I, over endless episodes, have pointed out the importance of game theory, which came to be a hell of a long time ago. And they knew it was valid. They just didn't have the tools to push that much data. Well, now they do. Um, one of the early benchmarks for AI was going to be games. Like if a computer could beat a human being at checkers, didn't take them long. But then again, with checkers, that there's not that many possibilities. So they went to chess, took them a little longer. But if you do the mathematical layouts of how many possible moves in a chessboard, anyone can go look this up to see, you'll see that it didn't take them that long. I think it was Gary Kasparov, the, the grandmaster of chess in the world was beaten by a computer. And then, of course, who can forget Deep Blue on mainstream television, Jeopardy. Um, for some reason, some guy had won something like 74 games, taking more game show money than had ever been taken by anyone, entering the Guinness Book of World's Records. And he says, I'll take on the AI, and the AI kicks his butt. That was a long time ago a very long time ago. But still, that was not the gold standard for AI. The gold standard for AI was a game called Go, which apparently has been around for about 3,000 years in China. And it's a bit more than chess because I think, and uh, I'll, I'll do better when I do the episode, but it's like 81 black pieces on one side and 80 on the other. I think it's 80, maybe it's 60. I'll have to look it up or maybe it's even 120. I've forgotten, but the black pieces have one more because black always goes first. But the number of possible moves from the as outset of the game is astronomical. Not only that, the grandmasters of Go will tell you that the psyche of your opponent and the frame of mind is a big part of the game. Well, guess what? AI has not just beat a grandmaster. It's kicked his butt. Started with a master, so not a grandmaster in Europe, and beat him. And beat him soundly. Um, I forget what it was. Three out of four games or something like this. And then it was just a couple years later that the AI had beat an actual grandmaster from China in the game Go. And what people don't understand is that many of these AIs, oh, by the way, here's the important part. When they were beating, when AI was beating checkers and chess, there was human input into the teaching of the AI. By the time it came to try to beat a grandmaster at Go, you know what they did? They took human, human interaction out of it and they let the AI teach itself. Not only could the AI teach itself, it could create its own mini AIs or children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren to solve individual problems along the way. The outcome of the AI beating the Grandmaster in Go was this. New strategies that had never been seen in 3,000 years of human beings play, playing Go came out of it, but here's the rub. They don't understand how the AI arrived at these strategies or how any of it was derived. There's some food for thought, man. Um, we're, we're here now. Right now, this is where we are. But what do you want to add before we close it down, Jason? That's dangerous. That whole spiel you just gave. I just don't trust these computer systems, man. <laughs> you know what? I, I have to walk away when I'm doing research like this, watching all these mainstream authors act like, you know, you know what the original... Uh, mission statement from Google was, I'm not even kidding you, don't be evil. That was Google's um, original statement. And now they're involved in this type of thing. And every single author you see is going to tell you the guys at Google are great guys with your best things at heart. But unfortunately, AI is going to ruin our world. 
It's beyond a paradox. It's almost like some magical monster master at the top snapped his fingers and every other piece of logic or common sense has been chucked out the window. This is where we're going, man. But anyhow, that does bring hour one of episode 160 to a close. Come join us over at crow777radio.com where we actually do have free speech. And though we never harm anyone, we can elaborate quite a bit more on many of these topics. And we're going to open up with the eight goals from the United Nations. So there it is, man. Cheers.